It would be the Lord, that is Jehovah, God, the Mighty One, of hosts, that is of armies. All right, well, let's uh, turn, let's keep in mind that we're uh, working from 1 Peter chapter 2, but let's turn over to John 15. We'll read verses 1 through 8. We're talking about Christian growth, right? Peter will say uh, that we should desire the sincere milk of the word that we, that we might grow thereby. So we have seen several aspects of Christian growth. This, this day, we're, we're looking at fruitfulness, growth in fruitfulness from John chapter 15, verse 1. Here now, the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye... Except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned." If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you, continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. May God add His blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Well, let me warm us up for our topic today with the Reverend John Owen. When God purgeth his vine, it is that it may bear more fruit. When he dresseth his ground, it shall bring forth herbs, meat for himself. The whole of God's dealing and design herein is set forth in an elegant allusion unto a husbandman in the management of his corn. And this fruit in general has, uh, is of two sorts, the taking away of sin by the mortification of it. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin, Isaiah 27, 9, and in the increase of righteousness or holiness, which is here expressed. We've been talking about Christian growth. 
We've seen several aspects of Christian growth, and we've seen that these are related one to another. They're not, you know, you, you, you can't expect to grow in love and to decrease in obedience. In other words, all of these things grow together, but the scripture presents this jewel to us, if you will, as a multifaceted thing so that we might hear it under these different topics, facets, if you will, and that we might have a, um, have a better understanding of what is required of us as the people of God to grow, that is, by the word of God. So as we said before, we say again, sometimes we'll ask one another, we look at a strapping young man and we'll look at his folks and we'll say, what are you feeding him? So if we're feeding on the word of God, we can expect to grow. We can't expect to grow, all of the things being equal, the Lord blessing that, uh, that effort to feed upon his word. Yet we know that there are those who are ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are people that read the Bible every day and never have that light. So it, it is not a quid pro quo kind of thing. It is not an automatic turning of the crank thing. We pray unto the Lord and we pray for understanding. We pray for light. We pray that his scripture might... I'm sorry, that his spirit might take the reading of Scripture, the hearing of it preached, and so on, and parlay that into Christian growth. Now, we've seen all different kinds of growth. We've looked at growing in grace generally. We looked at growth in knowledge. We looked at growth in faith. We looked at growth in obedience and holiness. Last week, we talked about growing in love. And last week, we heard about that love that we are to grow in. It's a knowing love. It's a discerning love. It's a pure or unhypocritical love. It's an inoffensive love. And it's a love that is filled with the fruits of righteousness. We described that love. And we said that we love God for the good that he does to us. Not as mercenaries. But as in recognition and thankful recognition of his gifts. We said we love God for who he is. In his own attributes. We said that we, have, we, that we uh, have all things for the Lord's sake. And we love the Lord and use things, not use uh, the Lord and love things, right? And then fourthly, we said all other loves are hatred by comparison. And finally, we said that we want our affections also to be swept up, but that they must follow and not lead. So that's where we were last week in, in a growing love unto the Lord. This week... We're going to grow in fruitfulness, in fruitfulness. And Jesus makes that very plain, doesn't he, in John chapter 15. Um, <clears throat> the Lord has provided that we would grow in fruitfulness. First, what do we mean by fruitfulness? And there are several ways that we see in Scripture fruitfulness is used. Sometimes it's used for the fruit of the body, right, the fruit of our cattle, you know, it's a, it's a temporal kind of advancement, in other words. There's, there's fruitfulness. And the Lord often, in the Old Testament and sometimes in the New, the Lord will, will promise that kind of temporal blessing to his people as an encouragement to do that which is good. And the Lord will also threaten to take away good things as an encouragement not to do evil. Right? And so sometimes that's put in the, in the terms of increase, fruitfulness, and so on. We remember in the blessing, we'll see this, Lord willing, next hour in Deuteronomy 33, we'll say, uh, Joseph is a fruitful bough. Remember that? 
because Joseph is often put for the entirety of the northern kingdom, which was indeed very prosperous, very fruitful. But notice also that the name Joseph, Yosef in the Hebrew, means increase. Some of you maybe have read the works of Increase Mather. Yeah, he was named Increase because Joseph means increase in the Hebrew. Okay? So uh, sometimes that increase, that fruitfulness, that is ensconced in a name, like, like in the name Joseph. All right, but we want, uh, we want to speak beyond that because the fruitfulness that we're talking about here is not a temporal fruit, fruitfulness. Not when, his faith, not when the Lord's faithful ones multiply in the earth, when, when they have you know, uh, uh, more, uh, more stuff and so on. In John 15, we're looking at a particular kind of fruit bearing. Uh, we saw this illustration also, didn't we, already in Psalm 80. We, you know, Jesus will say, I am the vine, you are the branches, my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman. Okay? Well, remember how I told you earlier that very often Jesus is thoroughly identified with his own people, right? So if Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, there are times when the church of the Old Testament is spoken of as a vine. We sang of that in Psalm 80 already. It was a vine, a vine that the Lord planted. And what did it do? It filled the land. It grew all over the place, right? It's like that... It's like that vine that gets in everywhere. We're getting ready to plant our gardens again, right? We're thinking about that. I made the mistake one year of planting spearmint in my garden. That's a, that's a rookie mistake. It's a rookie mistake to plant spearmint in your garden. If, if you want to get started in gardening and you want to grow spearmint, it's great. We love it. Put it in a container. Otherwise, it'll be everywhere. I was digging up and I I was pulling out those runners that are about a foot down. It just doesn't go away. The Lord gave that kind of increase to Israel of old. Right? Seventy people went down to Egypt. In Egypt they became a mighty nation. Then then under the days of Solomon, uh, his dominion reached all the way to the river Euphrates in some cases and all the way to the sea on the other side. All that the Lord had promised, we see in Solomon. And, and yet what happened, well, they ended up not, not abiding in that, right? Deuteronomy 32, they ended up turning away from the Lord. And all of that went away. So let's, uh, let's tr- try to understand a few things here out of Isaiah chapter 5 for a moment. We'll look at that passage with regard to the vine. Because once again... In, Deuteron- in, in Isaiah chapter 5, we have this wonderful section where the Lord speaks of his people as a vine. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it. And also made a wine press therein. <coughs> and he looked that it should bring forth grapes. And it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? 
Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now, go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness and behold, a cry. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Now, Jesus will build on that, right? We've been studying biblical theology in our seminary work right now. And one of the things that biblical theology does is it considers those passages that have gone on before so that we might build upon them. Jesus chooses the metaphor of a vine for himself and his church. I am the vine, ye are the branches. It would not be untoward to believe that Jesus is building on this section here in Isaiah chapter 5. So let's take a look at what has happened here. Notice it says, I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. So Isaiah takes up the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the role of a songster hill here. And he says, my well-beloved had a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. A fruitful hill. Not, a, not a, a bare patch of ground, but a fruitful hill where the Lord chose to plant his people. He planted them in a fruitful place. Notice what he says. He fenced it. He fenced it. What did he do? That is, he put a wall around it <clears throat> to keep the wild beasts out and to keep the vine in. To protect it. Right? What did we sing in Psalm 80 already? The boar of the woods has broken in and trampled the vineyard. Right? My well-beloved built a vineyard with a fence around it. What else did he do? It's a very fruitful hill. He fenced it. He gathered out the stones thereof. There's a, there's a Middle Eastern proverb that talks about God spreading the rocks over the world. And he set out angels with two bags of rocks, one under each wing. And one angel was flying over Palestine and one of the bags broke. And so all the rocks ended up there in the ancient Near East, right? In that, in, in, in that what we would call the land of Palestine, the land of Israel, the land of that area. There's rocks everywhere. What did the well-beloved do? He took out all those rocks. He took them all out. He digged out all the stones out of that fruitful hill. What are we seeing here? Copious, copious labor. Preparation, 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 right? What else? He planted it with the choicest vine. With the choicest vine. And not only that, he didn't even consider those rocks that he pulled out trash. What did he do? With them, he repurposed them and built a tower instead so that he might watch over his vineyard, so that he might see the offenders coming from a long way off, so that he might see if anything has gotten in the vineyard. You know, because if the vines are growing up and there become fruitful, 
they, they become fruitful. You, you might have an animal in there, you don't even see it. But if you have a tower, you can. And so he set up a tower. He repurposed those stones so that instead of a negative thing, they become a positive. Again, we look at planning and care. He also made a wine press therein. What is a wine press? Well, we know what a wine press is, but the word that is used here is for the lower section of it. That is, it's the, it, it's the hard-working section that we're talking about. A wine press was made of two parts in the ancient Near East. There was the upper part, <clears throat> which was kind of a, a place where they, where they squished the grapes, but then there was the lower part where a, a huge stone was taken and what was carved out was a bath out of it that received all of that juice of the grape and collected it there. In other words, the work is being emphasized here. The labor is being emphasized here by Isaiah. <clears throat> so, he, he chose a, a fruitful hill. He built a wall. He gathered out the stones. He planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst of it. And he made a wine press in it. Beloved, can I ask you, why would a, why would a vineyard owner do such a thing? For his health? It's good for me to work like this. Well, it may be, but that's not why he does it. Uh, because he's having a good time? Well, I don't know if you've ever spent all day bent over pulling rocks out of the ground. Probably not a good time. Why does he do it? For the fruit. That's why he does it. He does it for the fruit. And so, he came to his vineyard, and he said... Now I can gather up my fruit. And instead of finding those plump, ripe, lush, juicy grapes that you can crush to make wine out of, he found wild grapes. Dr. Young says that the word here may even mean foul or rotten grapes. In other words, grapes that were good for nothing. So, what could, have, what could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, or why then, when I looked at it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes? There's no answer given to the question. It's a rhetorical question because everyone knows what the vineyard owner is about to do. He's not going to waste any more time on this vine. He's going to tear down the hedge. He's going to break down the wall. He's going to lay it waste. It will not be pruned nor digged, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold, a cry. There is a play on words here at, at, at the end of that parable. <clears throat> it's very interestingly said, because when I was reading it, I was looking at the English there, righteousness and oppression, okay, you can get that. I'm sorry, judgment and oppression. You can get that. If, if someone is not judging someone rightly, they are oppressing them. Those are obvious 
opposites. But then I looked for righteousness and behold, a cry. And that didn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand why that would be put as the opposite of righteousness until I looked at the Hebrew. And so what the prophet Isaiah says at the end of this is that the Lord looked for mishpat, judgment, and instead he got mispah, oppression. And he looked for righteousness, tzadakah, and instead he got tzadakah, crying out, shrieks of torture and difficulty. So that's why it's written like that. It is written so that it might be memorable in the original language. So that when the people of God read that, they would remember. They would remember very deeply why the Lord tore down his vineyard. So there is, may I say it this way, beloved? There is an expectation that the Lord has. And it is an upright, it is a righteous expectation. Notice the question of the vineyard owner here. What more could have been done? The prophet Micah will say, uh, will, will speak in the same vein when he says, Oh my people Israel, tell me, how have I wearied thee? Right? Here he says, what more could have been done? So let's turn back to John 15 for a moment. In the ancient Near East, growing vines was obviously an art. They knew how to grow vines. Uh, if you ask uh, any of the vintners around here, they will tell you that, uh, that that was one of the premier places where, where uh, wine grapes were grown in that day. And there is a particular process that a vine goes through, and they can take you through it. We don't have to go into a lot of detail, but... One detail that, that, that I want to mention is the detail that Christ mentions here. So let's go ahead in verse 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, my father is the husband, and every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. There are a couple of things said there that I think are very important for us to remember. The first thing is, number one, Jesus will say that there are branches in him that bear not fruit. Then he will say later on, abide in me and you will bear fruit. So there is an obvious distinction that is being made in the passage between being in Christ and, if you will, abiding in Christ. Or can I say it this way, being in Christ and being in Christ. There's a difference, there's a distinction that is being drawn here. I think that many commentators get it correctly when they say that there are those that are attached to the vine only nominally, only in name. They have a profession of Christianity, but no fruitfulness at all. There's no bearing of, of good fruit. And the, and the good fruit, as we will see as we move through John 15, is simply that good fruit of learning to obey the Lord more and more. It is the fruit of the Spirit, although those are inward characteristics that then work their way out. Right? Galatians 5.22 and following. 
So every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he that is the Father taketh away. Taketh away. If a ba- verse 6, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. This is, this is a deep warning, beloved, that it is simply not enough to be attached to the vine by way of observation. Those branches that are only attached to the vine in that way, without fruitfulness, they are taken away. Men gather them, they are cast into the fire, and they're burned. So growth and fruitfulness then ought to be some, you know, a topic that each of us is pretty concerned about. We want to grow. We want to be fruitful. We want to bear fruit in all kinds of ways. We'll look at a few other passages in a moment after we work our way through here in John 15. So then, secondly, every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. So those fruit-bearing branches on a, on a vine, as they go through their maturation process, what they do is they go from that green thing to a thing covered in bark. And once they get covered in bark, they don't bear fruit anymore. You want those vines to remain green. You want them to remain tender, to remain, as it were, young, if you will, in the, in, in the vine sense of youth. Once those vines mature and all of those branches bark over, the production comes way down if it doesn't stop altogether. And so when Jesus says that my father prunes, literally the word he uses is katharizo, which means to cleanse. And so what the father does as a faithful vine dresser, as a faithful husbandman, is he comes along to this vine and finds all of these branches that are in Christ. He looks over those that are fruitless, because we know that being fruitless is not really fruitless at all, right? It's bringing forth sour or bad grapes. It's not just neutral. It's worse than neutral. Those branches must be cut off and cast away. Then, with the the branches that do bear fruit... He trims off that bark. He keeps them young. He keeps them from barking over such that they might bear what? More fruit. That's what Jesus says. And so using this illustration as a a vine dresser, Jesus tells us what the Father is about. The Father is about doing those things for his children that bring forth more fruit. Well, let's go ahead and remind ourselves of what we've already talked about. That this growth in love, in obedience, in faith, now here growth in fruitfulness, this is a mercy from your Father. Jesus calls the one who performs this task his Father and ours. In other words, it is a a condescending condescending and dear thing that the Father does in that he prunes, cleanses the branches that they may bear more fruit. 
May I say it this way? Let's make just a brief application from this. The Father and Christ, they are not about stasis in your lives, beloved. They are not about staying anywhere. Generally, we, we, we do realize, right, from the scripture, that it's generally advancing or declining, that there's very little stasis at all. Either we are advancing, growing in grace, growing in fruitfulness, or our grapes are taking on characteristics of wild grapes instead of those full and lush and plump harvesting grapes. And so notice here that Jesus also takes up this same kind of, of, uh, of idea as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 5. In that we see the husbandman active in the vineyard. He's working, he's laboring in the vineyard. I might even go so far as to say, I wouldn't be dogmatic on this, but I would certainly make it a strong implication that Jesus has Isaiah 5 in mind and he's setting forth the work of the vine dresser here as something to be understood, as something to be, uh, to be encouraged, that we should understand that and be encouraged then to more fruitfulness. So then Jesus tells us how to bear fruit in this passage as well. And it is that old phrase that we call abiding in Christ. Abide in Christ. The Greek word meno, it means to abide, remain, stay, rest. Stop moving about, if you will. Stop going from place to place. Find your home, if you will. And so notice here that the word abide is used several times throughout this passage. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Verse 4, except ye abide in the vine, because the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 6, if a, ban- if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Verse 7, if ye abide in me, and now Jesus tells us what that looks like, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done. Then notice, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. The word continue there is the same Greek word. Abide in my love. He says it once again. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken in you, that my joy might abide, remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So, this word abide figures largely into every verse and multiple times in those verses in this parable that Christ tells. What does it mean to abide in the Lord? It means that the word of Christ abides in us. That's what he says. Now, not just abiding in us like uh, I've memorized more, more, more passages than anybody else I know. Not that kind of abiding. But the kind of abiding that is what we would 
what, if, if we might continue the illustration of the vine and the branches, a vital thing, a life-giving thing, right? Uh, William Plummer wrote a book called Vital Godliness. Vital coming from the Latin meaning life. That is that our lives are connected to Christ as a branch is connected to a vine. And unless we remain in Christ in that way, unless we abide in him, we will not bear fruit. We will be cast forth as a branch to be taken up and used for kindling instead. The thing about a vine, and again, the prophets teach us this in the Old Testament. Okay, so there's some kinds of growth that you can turn into things, right? You can cut down a cedar tree or a pine tree or an oak tree, and you can make boards out of it. And out of that board, you can build a house, you can build a shed, you can build an ox cart, put it in the ancient Near East, and so on. You can build all kinds of things. Okay, one thing you'll never see as you drive down the street is you'll, you'll say, such and such and such millwork, bring all your vines in. You don't bring a vine to a miller, right? You don't bring a vine to a wood mill to be cut up into pieces so that you can build it into something. You'll never hear, I have X amount of board feet of vine here. What are vines good for? Vines are good for burning. Vines are good for starting a fire. They're good for kindling. But vines are also good for fruit if you're connected, if you abide in Christ, if his word abides in you. And so the Bible presents to us here this way of advancement in fruitfulness. My father will clean you. That's what he says. Purge. Prune, if you will. That you may bear more fruit. Now Jesus will connect that to your initial coming to him. You're already clean, verse 3, because of the word that I have spoken unto you. How do you come to Christ? How do you come and be connected to the vine? You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Not simply because Christ has spoken to you, but because you have heard and believed and received all that Christ has said. That's how you become connected to the vine. And it is by that same way that you become fruitful in the vine as the Father comes and prunes off those worldly philosophies and and doctrines and commandments of men as he takes that away so that the grapes that you grow will be those firm and plump and juicy grapes, the envy of any vineyard dresser. And your father, beloved, has an expectation of that. Why? Because like the vineyard owner of Isaiah chapter 5, and like the illustration that uh, Jesus has given us in John 15, your father has been at work for your fruitfulness sake. He has been at work for that. So you don't have to worry about that. Notice what Jesus will go on to say down in verse 8. Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And in this way, so shall ye be my disciples. You have a guarantee as the father loves to glorify his own name. And he does. And it's right that he does. 
based on that promise and that desire, you have that guarantee of yourselves growing in fruitfulness, learning to bear much fruit. So again, this is a mercy. This is a grace from your Father that as He glorifies His own name, He will also uh, cause you to bear much fruit. Let's look at a couple of different places as we draw ourselves to a greater close here. First of all, uh, I, have, I, I think I skipped two of the passages in your note sheets if you have them. I think the most important one, let's go ahead and take that one up first, is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You'll have Mark 4, 8, Romans 7, 1 through 6, Philippians 1, 11, and Colossians 1, 3 through 11 also. But I want to start, <clears throat> I, I'd like to start with 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. The Apostle Paul in this passage, let me give you a little bit of warm-up to it. He's talking about the ministry of the Corinthian church to other saints, um, namely in Judea. They had heard that there was going to be persecution and drought and dearth, famine in Judea. And so the Macedonian churches and here in Corinth, the, the, the churches in Achaia, they were going to send for the relief of the poor saints in Jerusalem and in Judea. Now Paul will remind them in this passage, you know, it's been a year and you really haven't gotten after that yet. You were moved, you made, the, you, you made a, a, a commitment, you said you were going to be of service to them, and it's been a year and we haven't seen anything yet, so let me encourage you to your former commitment, right? And so that's what he'll say. Well, Paul also takes the occasion then here in that fruitfulness, and by the way, he's going to use a term in this passage, the fruits of your righteousness, Keep in mind that uh, righteousness in Scripture is sometimes put as a name upon almsgiving, giving to folks that are poor. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, uh, your King James translates it, uh, give alms, right? Um, do not your giving of alms. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't. It says, do not your righteousness before men that they may be. Uh, that you may be seen of them, right? The word righteousness there is really what Jesus is talking about, is giving to the poor. Right? He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So very often the word tzaddikim, or the righteousnesses of the people of God, speak of their generosity to those who are in need. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read this passage beginning in verse Six, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he hath purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower 
<coughs> both minister bread for your food <coughs> and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whiles by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. That's a great passage, isn't it, to talk about advancement in fruitfulness, growth in fruitfulness. What does Paul say? At the beginning, he says, if you sow a little bit, you'll only reap a little bit. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Well, beloved, what a wonderful encouragement that is. If you sow, that is, if you are much in God's word, if you are much in learning from Christ, if you are much in the things of God, you can expect then that you will be much in fruitfulness. But if it's little, you can expect the same kind of return. Got kind of, kind of quiet in here for a second. Because I think we're all convicted in one way or another that we should be spending more time searching out God's word and sowing bountifully. Right? We want to sow not in the earth. We want to plant our seed where it grows up and gives fruit for eternity. Secondly, notice what he will say. Uh, not out of necessity, not for some kind of mercenary spirit, not grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. Most of you are aware that the word cheerful there is the Greek word that we get our English word hilarious from, right? With joy, with hilarity, with, not, with, not with grief. Uh, like Solomon will teach us over and again that, that generosity is truly bounty, right? But then notice the response of the Lord is God is able to make all grace abound toward you. If I might put it in the, in the context of Isaiah 5 and, and John 15, the Lord has been uh, working. He has been at labors, at pains, if you will, if we can speak anthropomorphically. He's been at pains in your hearts so that this kind of fruitfulness might blossom and grow. Thanks be to God, he will say, for his unspeakable gift, that gift by which all other gifts are given, by which all fruitful, fruitfulness might grow and expand. Remember what Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. Now Paul will say this here in 2 Corinthians 9, As you rise up and keep the commitments that you made and give, do those good works toward the Judean church, well, there will be many thanksgivings that rise up to God. God's name will be glorified in your fruitfulness, beloved. It will not be lost. The vineyard owner 
will see that no good fruit is lost. He will take it into his garner. He will squeeze out the wine. And he will make that delectable praise to his own name. So then, verse 9, as it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now Paul turns from being generous to good fruit generally. Listen to what he says. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. He's left talking about stuff. Now he's talking about spiritual benefit and growth. The fruit of your righteousness. So beloved, there is a way to grow in fruitfulness. There is a way to to put away those wild grapes. There is a way resting on our Father's labor and looking forward to His glory and feeding upon the good word of Christ, having His word abide in us. There is indeed a way to grow in fruitfulness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. For this administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God, whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection. The good fruit that, that the Lord causes to grow up in us, that he prunes us in order that we might have, that comes back to him in praise and glory. And beloved, I don't know if if you recognize this or not, but that is one of the surest guarantees that you have that you will grow in fruit because the Lord seeks others to glorify him. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount. What is it? Matthew 5, 12 or 13. That they may see your good works and glorify God, your Father who is in heaven. The good work that we do in this world, the fruit of righteousness, those things that the Lord has been cultivating in us through His copious labor, they bring Him glory. They bring Him glory. The only other thing left to handle is something that we've talked about many times before so we can do it rather quickly. And that is, what is this pruning process? What is that pruning that the Father does? That that cleaning, if you will. What is that about? This is His fatherly chastisements. This is His cutting away from us, which can be a painful process. As you put a knife against the, against the green of that vine and you cut away that bark and you keep it young and fresh and tender, that can be a painful process, yet it is that, it is that which raises up in us that holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to them that are exercised thereby. And this is why I believe Jesus talks about God as his and our father in John 15, so that we will recognize that that cleaning, that pruning, is indeed his fatherly care and chastisement over us. All right, well, let's make some uses then, and then we'll be done. Beloved, it is the Father's will that you bear much fruit. 
It's his will. He's behind you. He's behind you for your sake. And he's behind you for his name's sake. He has granted this to us as a mercy. Like, like we have seen in everything that we've looked at. In every facet of growth. This is a mercy from God. The sins that beset us yesterday need not beset us tomorrow. Right? The fruitlessness that we faced yesterday need not beset us tomorrow. What is that fruit of the Spirit? Many of you have memorized that passage in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faith, and so on. All of those other things that... that uh, and th- this is what we mean when we say they all grow together because it's called the fruit, not the fruits of the Spirit. You can have one fruit growing and another one not growing, but this is the fruit of the Spirit. It all grows together. We look for an increase of love toward God and our fellow man. That we might love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. That we, that we might do so not grudgingly, but with joy, with peace with God. That we may be at peace with one another. That we may love goodness and gentleness. That we might have that faith that moves mountains. That mustard seed faith that moves mountains. That we might have temperance and control in all things. That the Lord would raise up these inward qualities in us. So that we might let that light shine before men. It is His will that we grow in good works. In fruitfulness. Um, as Jesus will make that plain in, in the parable that we read in John 15 as he goes on to talk about abiding his word abiding in us his commandments abiding in us his love abiding in us all of these things go together in there, and they're all related one to another second we note the relationship of cleansing to the word There is an initial pruning, right? Where the filth of the flesh is cut away from us altogether in our justification. But there is also that ongoing katharizo, that ongoing cleaning, pruning that the Father does in order that we may bear much fruit. If the Father is not pruning, we are not advancing. So we must remain connected to the vine. We must have the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, as Paul will say in Colossians 3. There is a fruitful purging as well as an initial purging where the woody parts are cut away that the fruit may grow instead. And you can think of it that way. We're either growing bark or growing grapes. It's one or the other, beloved. Third, keep an eye to the glory of God and how your growth in obedience and holiness connects to him and brings honor to him. We've heard that. We heard that in the parable that Jesus taught us. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. And it is my Father's will that ye bear much fruit. And let your light so shine before men that your Father may be glorified. So, beloved, keep an eye to the glory of God. We live in an age where everybody's searching out his own glory. The Proverbs tell us, That's not glory, (laughs) right? It's not glory at all. So rather than thinking uh, how we can be appreciated, uh, it's completely counterintuitive to the natural man, 
Do these good works, not so that men will praise you when you do well to yourself, Psalm 49, but do these good works even if it's costly to you because the name of your Father is glorified. Thanks is given to Him. And finally, the fourth use. You cannot bear fruit if you do not abide in Christ. You must abide in Christ. You must remain in Him. You must call upon His name. You must place the eternal disposition of your soul in His mighty hands. You must put the pruning of your branch in His Father's hand. And that is indeed the only fruitfulness that humanity will ever know. Otherwise, they are that perverse plant, that thorn and that briar that we read about earlier, even in Deuteronomy 32, that there were those that were identified with the Lord in His church that raised up thorns and briars, wild grapes, instead of cultivated wine grapes. So, beloved, leave with these encouragements then, that it is your Father's will that you bear much fruit, and that He is actively involved in pruning and slicing, and chastising, even in painful or grievous processes, so that you will bear fruit. And that in so doing, you have this to look forward to, that you will be, at least in some way, uh, instrumental in others giving glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we pray that Thou wouldst be with us as we think on what we have heard from Thy Word this day and that good fruit would be eminently desirous to us and among us. O Lord, help us not to content ourselves with bringing forth wild grapes or, even worse, no fruit at all briars and thorns. O Lord, grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to understand and perceive what it is when the fruit that we bear is foul, that we might confess and forsake it. And Lord, grant to us instead those great encouragements that we have heard, that we might know thy good will, that thou dost desire that we bear fruit. That we might know indeed the labor that thou hast put in to us bearing fruit. And also, Father, that we might know that we might have an instrumental part in bringing glory to thy name as we bring forth good fruit. We pray, Lord, that we would not seek to bear fruit apart from abiding in Christ and having his word abide in us, that we would call upon his name, that we would indeed give ourselves to him, that we would be united to the vine, not in name only, not by profession only, but Lord, vitally, that the juice and fat of the vine might flow through our veins as well. O Lord, deliver us from nominal religion. 
And Father, we do pray that as we meditate upon these things and as we search thy good word, looking at those passages that speak of fruitfulness, that thou wouldst grant us that encouragement as well, knowing that, that thou dost come looking for fruit and art pleased when thou dost find it. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated.